Hello and welcome to the Bulletin with UBS on Monocle 24. Each week the sharpest minds and freshest thinkers in finance take you beyond the numbers and hype, right to the heart of the big issues of the day. With the shattering events of recent days in Ukraine dominating the global news agenda, today on the programme it feels almost essential to talk about the intersection of geopolitics and investing. The ongoing conflict between Russia and Ukraine means short-term volatility is set to continue. But what does that mean, whether for markets or for energy supplies and prices? How should investors attempt to make sense of what's happening and use it to ensure they have well-balanced and robust portfolios? This past Friday, I checked in with two experts from UBS's global team to get their initial reactions to a febrile few days and to hear from them how they look to maintain calm amongst this type of maelstrom. They'll speak too to the importance of being part of a great and international team in times of such turbulence. We start with Michael Bolliger, Chief Investment Officer, Global EM at UBS Switzerland. I caught up with him on Friday morning and began by asking for his reaction, first of all, to the extraordinary events that have been unfolding across Ukraine over the preceding 36 or 48 hours. There's a, f- a few things that probably come to mind. First, and it's an important reminder that for many people, this you know, ultimately came in an unexpected way. And you know, we had all the, or many indications, we had the warnings, and somehow we still sort of fail to believe that this may actually happen. And that has a direct consequence also for the way we need to think about investments, right? So at times it might sound very counterintuitive to invest also in a context of your portfolio to invest in sort of relatively boring securities like uh, you know expensive treasury bonds, et cetera. But whenever you get hit by those shocks, then you know, you you sort of, you know, would be very glad that you've done maybe these investments. The second thing is that we probably got surprised by the speed and the magnitude of this. But also when we look at, you know, previous crises in the past and sort of looking at this financially, economically, and I'm ignoring the human tragedy and, and, and sort of also the shock to, to our beliefs, then, you know, we need to acknowledge that typically such geopolitical crises are rather short-lived again in, in the way they can affect you know, a globally diversified portfolio. And here, you know, one, one of our reviews or one of our key assumptions here is that you know, this might be quite similar this time again. Yeah, and I guess it serves as a, you know, a, a, as you said, a tragic and really quite terrifying reminder of the difficulty at any time of pricing in political geopolitical volatility we often talk of it in the context of you know electoral cycles and the more sort of quotidian detail of who's going to win an election but you realize it's really underscores doesn't it michael how difficult it is to to price in that kind of, of volatility it makes the job that you and your colleagues do really pretty pretty tricky right yeah exactly i mean there's this old saying financial markets can build pride but they can also take it and it's you know a reminder, I guess, in this sense, and, and I like the the reference there to the political cycles that you make. I mean, it's exactly the same story there that we need to be in a way humble about our abilities to also predict uh, some of these outcomes. And again, the key answer here from our point of view, and there is a vast academic literature about this as well. The one thing that you can really do is to have you know, a good investment process in place to have a good strategic asset allocation. And, you know, we can refer to a long, long history 
of financial market data that shows you that this is the right approach to deal with this and you know trying to time trade such crises typically is not sort of the right thing to do financially speaking uh, Michael, now we're going to talk uh, to, to your colleague Mark Anderson shortly, but uh, j- just in terms of some kind of strategic insights from you, I guess, again, we come back to some of these fundamentals. You know, you already mentioned the importance of being diversified in terms of building portfolios, but there are some other strategies, I guess, that are relevant here. You know, being looking at defensive sectors, for example, thinking somewhat defensively, and also trying to, to buy into, you know, the sort of winners from, from global growth. Some of those principles presumably endure and indeed become even more relevant when there is this backdrop of great geopolitical instability. Yeah, absolutely. I think these are important points, again, under the assumptions that we took that specifically also mean that this crisis is not going to affect commodity flows from Russia into Western economies and thinking about oil and gas, but also many other commodities that are you know, currently being imported from from Russia and also from Ukraine that are of very high relevance for a global economy, both in terms of the relevance to growth, but also the relevance potentially to inflation. As long as these flows are not interrupted, then, you know, the assumption we're going to take here is that, you know, we would see an ongoing, you know, global recovery this year, which should, you know, again, benefit uh, risk assets and stocks specifically. And, you know, the fact that, you know, no one talks about COVID these days anymore, or hardly anyone talks about COVID these days anymore, is also something that, you know, we tend to forget when we are so focused on the current crisis in Ukraine. But there's, you know, at the same time, also some positive things happening and the COVID improvement there is is, is one example. You know, the other thing that we really like to do in, in such times is also to look for assets that we can add to our portfolios that, you know, provide protection against the risk, but also should be supported in a base case or in a case of a normalization of this conflict. And and one thing that comes to mind, obviously, is commodities, because they currently see price increases during the crisis, but they should also be supported from, you know, faster growth in Asia and China and and the the broader economic recovery uh, and reopening theme that I mentioned. Yeah, and Michael, I wanted to ask you a bit about that. Do, do we have to, in some respects, just sort of hope for the best in terms of the, the medium-term picture? I wonder to what degree, you know, when, when clients, for example, ask you about, you know, what your base case is looking at things like oil and gas, commodities, do you have to sort of tell them that we all basically just need to hunker down and hope that what is expedient from a growth point of view, what is expedient in terms of countering those inflationary pressures that you mentioned, we just have to hope that that trumps whatever the rhetorical or political objectives of this sort of campaign are. I mean, how, how, how do we set about calibrating our expectations in the medium term with regards to some of those key markers? Yeah, I think we probably wouldn't use the term hope that much, but we're obviously looking at history. We'll look at previous shocks that we believe were sort of similar in nature. You know, for example, the invasion by Iraq into Kuwait is is one example that we looked at quite a bit in detail and we, we draw conclusion from there. And then, of course, we also try to sort of anticipate and not by doing point forecasts necessarily, but by thinking in scenarios, you know, what could the individual actors do? What are their objectives? And, and, and how could they sort of, you know, respond to what the other one is doing, et cetera, to build what we think is a robust scenario framework 
that helps us taking the right decisions when it comes to the investment conclusions. Again, you know, staying invested where we believe there is upside, but also building in offers and protections or hedges if we believe there is a there's a need for some of that as well as we you know currently do, for example, through being exposed to commodities and also to stocks from commodity producing companies. Yeah, Michael, I just wanted to ask you, perhaps finally, just on a sort of, you know, almost a personal basis, really, how important is it to try and, I'm sure that in your offices, well, you're probably there, whatever, 20, 20 hours a day, I imagine at the moment, but you, you're going to have all the, the screens with the, the news feeds coming from all around the world, There's information is pouring in, some of it's, we don't even know how reliable it is. How challenging is it for you, you know, as an analyst, as, you know, someone who sets a great deal of store in really robust research to try and almost shut out some of that media driven white noise? Does it become that that also must become more difficult, right, during times like this when there's such a sort of febrile atmosphere across the media, wherever you look? Yeah, definitely. I like I like the reference you made, you know, you said for me as a human being, which, you know, at the end of the day, we are all are. We're not machines and you know as, as much as we avoid try to avoid this we are obviously affected by this as well it obviously helps to be part of a big team ubs is a, a large team of, of analysts strategists economists etc with a lot of experience and we can help each other and we do help each other we work very closely together also passing on the baton across time zones so that we can essentially have almost like a 24 7 hour coverage the other thing that I believe is really important is to know and and be aware that the stories we hear are often influenced by whom, by the person who is telling that story. So I always make this reference to Plato's cave where the prisoners there see different versions of the reality. So if you follow this crisis in Russia media, your perception is going to be very, very different from someone who follows that crisis, say, in, in the UK, in UK media. And we we need to make sure that we can get all the sources that we believe are relevant to come to a, you know, as comprehensive as possible a picture to then hopefully take the most informed decisions. Michael Bolliger, uh, fantastic to speak with you. Thanks for taking some time out of your busy day. Good to hear your insights. Thank, thanks as always. Thanks. Well, next, I spoke also on Friday morning to Michael's colleague, Mark Anderson, Mark's co-head global asset allocation at UBS. Mark Anderson, fantastic to speak with you. And we were just chatting, actually, with Michael Bolliger, and I I put it to him that the crazy events of the last few days and indeed the events which are continuing to unfold quite literally as we speak this Friday morning serve as a real salutary reminder, don't they, of the challenges of trying to price in geopolitical instability, volatility. It's tricky at the best of times. And in moments like these, you realise how challenging it is. I mean, that's one, I guess, of the key takeaways that you and your colleagues presumably are talking about as we witness the, the kinds of scenes we've been seeing. You're absolutely right. And I think what makes this time particularly challenging is that, of course, we are looking at something that I think I would classify as a human tragedy that that touches most of us deeply on a on a personal level, and then at the same time, it uh, poses the the challenge of trying to understand how it impacts the pricing of various assets for the sake of trying to build, obviously, the best investment portfolios that we can that serves our clients for their long term uh, financial objectives. So. What we're of course looking at is is a number of unpredictable events like like you laid it out. That's the starting point. And then secondly, trying to understand 
how that impacts first and foremost the, the global economy and thereby asset pricing. And I think what has been our base case more from an economic angle has been one where we didn't believe that in particularly energy flows would be impacted to an extent that would negatively impact uh, the outlook on the global economy in a meaningful way, which interestingly enough, and as much as we're looking at Ukraine and events unfolding at the moment, the biggest thing actually driving the global economy these days is still reopening on the back of COVID and, and central banks tightening interest rates. And, and it's still an environment where we think that the global economy will grow above average from these reopening uh, efforts, eventually inflation starting to come down and actually makes it still an environment where you as an investor are likely to be better off by, by staying invested and staying invested in a diversified uh, way with long-term objectives in, in mind. Well, yeah, so presumably then the kinds of conversations, Mark, that you're having with clients focus around questions around, well, look, how do I continue to ensure that my portfolio is built in a robust fashion when we do face, yes, this kind of geopolitical turmoil, but also, as you just mentioned, a sort of new central bank policy regime and generally magnified risks on the upside and the, and the downside? How does one set about doing exactly that? It is a multi-complex objective in a way with many different interlinked scenarios that we are working through. But the best way I can probably describe it is try to give a, a few examples of, of what we are trying to do. So on one hand side, we of course build portfolios with, with very long-term views in mind. So really decades projections of, of growth, bigger trends, etc. to, to start the, the framing of portfolios. Then at the current environment, we of course recognize that things can go in a, in a bad way as they have very recently with negative implications for broad uh, risk assets such as uh, broad equity markets. But I think what we have tried to do is essentially say we have a, a base case but a risk case. Do we find certain assets that benefit us in a base case but also might even do a, a bit better in some of these risk scenarios. So maybe talking a bit more concretely on the equity side, we have been leaning towards commodity-related equities, particularly on energy that has done very well year-to-date, so up double-digit versus, say, broad markets on the back of oil prices moving higher. So, so something that in a risk case would do better. It's very similar in currencies where we have been advising clients and been putting into their portfolios an additional uh, weight to uh, currencies like the US dollar that was expected both to strengthen from increasing interest rates in the US. But similarly, if we were to see an escalation in, in Ukraine, as people typically move to the US dollar in times of crisis. So that's something we've seen similar uh, with Japanese yen that we have very recently bought into to client portfolios. Also, uh, and shying away from maybe more the, the volatile, particularly slightly overvalued uh, tech names as, as well. So these are some of the things that we say from, from a lot of considerations, try to build our, our portfolio around some of those, those views.
Yeah, that's interesting. And I wanted to ask you a couple of slightly more specific questions about, you know, what investors should do. One was how they should go about positioning for that US dollar strength, because, of course, it is a traditional uh, safe haven. So that, that that's one, I think, that is, warrants further reflection. But also this idea, potentially, Mark, of, of using commodities as a hedge to geopolitical volatility. On both of those fronts, are those things that look like smart bits of strategy at a time like this? I absolutely think so as as well. And and for many years, uh, commodities uh, and commodity-related equities were maybe not favored, but that has certainly changed recently. I think it's right. It it has served most diversification than we've seen in in recent decades, uh, rightfully so. They have a, a certain value in portfolios that we appreciate. So that's the commodity bit. I'd say similar with US dollars, where... I'd probably make a slight difference. I'd say there might be a kind of a, a multi-year interesting story around commodities that's a little bit nuanced when we think about the US dollar because when we think about currencies, they typically don't have a longer-term positive expected return. So it, it, it becomes a bit more tactical. And you say, well, at the moment of heightened uncertainty, increasing interest rates in the US as of next month, in our view, is something that, that lends support to the US dollar. But we also shouldn't forget that when we get a little bit further into the year, we might also face a situation where people will start to consider the US dollar maybe slightly expensive, which it is in, in, in our accounts from kind of a long-term fair value consideration. And maybe some of the central banks that have been hesitant to increase interest rates like the European Central Bank might, uh, towards the end of the year, get into a point where they will start following some of the, the leaders like, like the Fed in, in raising interest rates. And that could eventually start to lead the euro a bit higher. So, so I'd say commodities, yes, long term structurally starts to become more interesting. Currencies, I'd say, there you have to be a bit more tactically in the way that you manage your exposure. And what about defensive strategies in this space, Mark? Is it, again, prudent to take a fresh look at some defensive sectors, given the backdrop in Ukraine, this uh, period, presumably, of ongoing heightened geopolitical instability? I think the word defensive is an interesting one, because we can think about equity sectors that are less cyclical. But if we look at it in a broader sense, typically we think about defensive from an asset class perspective being around cash or bonds. But what I would highlight here is that the risk to many clients who invest over a long period of time is that inflation is today the risk that that has the risk of eroding your purchasing power of your kind of portfolio. So I'd say the traditional way we think about defensive might not be defensive today. So first of all, you need to be invested into, in our view, mainly real assets that will go up in value, even if inflation brings prices higher. And we've seen that, broadly speaking, companies have power to put on prices to the consumer and therefore having seen earnings and the margins being relatively strong. So I'd say that is helpful. But I think also in a portfolio context, you might have some sectors like you allude to that will be a bit less cyclical, that therefore have a maybe more stable earnings generation that does a bit better these days. But I'd also say you know, energy and materials that, that traditionally we think about as cyclical and very risky have proven to do better in an environment where where the world is a bit more complex and commodity prices are moving up. So it has to be done in a balanced way. And, and, and what we used to think of as, as safe investments might not be it today or, or going forward. 
Uh, Mark, I wanted to ask you just finally, it was interesting, Michael reflected, actually, he, he spoke really, really quite powerfully about the strength and importance of the team that he works as part of within UBS. It's international and internationalist. It's very joined up and it's a big team and there's lots of support for colleagues and that helps to ensure that clients get the the best service at moments like these you know you started off by talking about the fact this is a human story after all and we're all uh, humans and it's emotional it's pretty exhausting and frightening to to watch you must step back and say look you know it's pretty good to be part of a team like this in UBS that means we have these support networks and have all of this uh, all of these resources at our uh, disposal to make sure we can keep doing the best job that we can no, that, that's absolutely true. And then I think the, the starting point is often that, you know, we feel we have a mandate to ensure that we uh, protect and grow the assets of, of our clients for their future financial obligations. That's the core of, of our value proposition for our clients. And with, with that in mind, when we wake up early in the morning on a day like yesterday, where bombs are flying over Ukraine and, and we feel obviously personally involved with with the events that are unfolding it does feel comforting to get behind the desk and the computer and and you start connecting with some of what you think are the best experts and you think that you have a team together that can actually serve that objective that that we have promised to our our clients and essentially it means from you know first of all we have colleagues like Michael and his team that are absolute uh, geopolitic russian uh, experts that understand how this impacts and the scenarios that we have laid out will impact assets in the region. Then we have global economists that can think through uh, what does new oil price forecast means for, for global growth. And we have our equity colleagues that make a quick assessment of how that might impact uh, some of these margins from higher input prices. Again, over to how this impacts the, the Federal Reserve's thinking on interest rate policy, currencies, uh, the equity markets and the sectors we spoke about before. And then from an asset allocation, what I will try to do with my team is essentially try to make sense of all of this in a portfolio context. So it does feel like we, we have a team of experts and clear processes that are that, that is working like a, like a Swiss clock, even if things become very stressful at times, obviously, both for us and our clients, we, we I think we have the the, the team and that, that is extraordinarily uh, helpful. And that's probably the, the case for any organization in, in any industry, but it's it's a pleasure to working for, for a company like UBS when things, they, they get challenging. Mark Anderson there. Huge thanks to Mark and before that to Michael Bolliger for being with us this week. That does bring us to the end of this edition of The Bulletin with UBS here on Monocle 24. You can listen again and find out more at monocle.com or catch up via your preferred podcast platform. And do be sure to stay tuned to Monocle 24, both live and to all of our podcasts, for all the latest on the invasion of Ukraine and what might happen next. The Bulletin with UBS on Monocle 24.